Man, and happy Easter at Journey Church International. For those of you who are brand new, this is your first time ever, this is what it looks like every Sunday here at Journey Church International, and you'll have to come back next week to figure out whether or not I'm lying. So that'll uh, give us at least one more chance to, uh, to be able to minister to you. But man, we're so glad that all of you are here on this awesome, awesome, the, the Super Bowl of Christianity, Easter Sunday. We're going to be in John chapter 20 today. If you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and move that direction. Uh, if you're brand new today and you didn't bring a Bible, we pass out Bibles every Sunday at our church. If you forgot yours, if you don't have one, if you want one, just wave at the ushers. They'll give you a Bible. If you have a Bible, just throw this on the table when you leave. If not, this is yours to keep. You can have it. Uh, we've been really glad to give away uh, approaching now 300 Bibles since we started our church uh, just about seven months ago. Uh, and today when we start studying God's Word in John chapter 20, I'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word if you want one and need one. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me so you can follow along. Uh, but we are going to look today just a little bit at the Easter story. But here's the perspective we're going to look at the Easter story through this morning. Uh, you know, a lot of you know I, I, uh, I have a few select TV shows that I love to watch. Danielle and I uh, if there's a good movie out, we love to go see a, a good movie out. And every now and then we'll go see a, a movie that's not a good movie, but, uh, it, but it's good to get out of the house. And we did that last week. We saw the newest uh, Julia Roberts movie called Mirror, Mirror, which is just kind of a spin on Snow White. Uh, and poor Julia Roberts, ever since Pretty Woman, she's kind of been going downhill with, uh, with the, the quality of movies that she's in. Uh, but it's an interesting, if you haven't seen this movie, I don't encourage you to. It might not be worth the money. But, uh, but it, it, is, it is, like I said, kind of a rewrite of Snow White. But as I, I looked at that phrase mirror, I had something happen this week that reminded me that a mirror doesn't always show us what we look like because we're looking at it. And we have the opportunity, when we look in a mirror, we have the opportunity to see what we want to see. Let me tell you the difference, and some of you are going to identify with this right away. How many of you have looked in the mirror, you see yourself, you think you know what you look like, you, in your head you may look a few years younger, a few pounds lighter, a few inches taller, you never know. But somewhere around that same time, you see a photograph of yourself. And you think, oh, that's not what I look like, is it? Um, it's funny how a picture doesn't lie, even though a mirror will give you the opportunity to maybe see things that, that aren't there. And what I'm hoping to do today through the Easter story in John and Matthew and Mark, uh, as we flip through the Gospels, is I'm hoping today not to give you a mirror, so you can see how you're doing spiritually and you can gauge it through your own perspective. But I'm hoping to give you a photograph that today allows you to see exactly where you are spiritually, exactly how you're doing spiritually, exactly where you need to go spiritually. Not what you, where you think you are spiritually, but truly where you really are and how you can move forward in your relationship with God. John chapter 20 is where we begin. It's a pretty famous Easter story. If you've never heard it, uh, welcome to Easter Sunday. This is kind of what it looks like according to the Bible. I'm in the New International Version. That's what's on the screen behind me. That's the Bible we just gave you. If you're in a different one, it'll sound similar. Maybe a few different words here and there. And it says, early on, uh, early on the first day of the week, that's Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running and the other disciple outran Peter. He reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and he went straight into the tomb and he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. 
He saw and believed, but they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus actually had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, as we look at this story, here's, here's what I want you to know uh, about this Easter Sunday and the Bible study that we're going to have this morning. Um, all this week, I've been reading the Easter narrative in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I bet I've read the Easter narrative in each book ten times this week, really starting last week, just reading and trying to figure out this. God, what do, uh, what do you want me to see that I've never seen before in the Easter story and what do you want me to talk to our people about that maybe they've never seen before in the Easter story? I mean, we know that on Easter we're celebrating Jesus raising from the dead, but how can we really understand how Easter impacts us? And as I read through story after story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because the Easter story is in every one of those four books about Jesus' life, what I saw coming off the pages every time I read it were the people. Not Jesus, but the people involved in the Easter Sunday. And as I kept looking at the people involved in Easter Sunday that were mentioned over and over and over again, I began to see some spiritual characteristics of these people. And I began to see how everyday real people like you and like me were impacted the very first Easter Sunday. What Easter actually did to real people. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. If you have your bulletin on the back of your bulletin, there's going to be a little place where you can take notes and fill in some words. I, we, we should have given you a pen when you walked in so that you can take notes uh, as you follow along. But I want to today talk to you about four people from the Easter story. And of course, the, the whole message is going to be about Jesus' impact on the life of these people. But I want, to get out, I want to get outside of the tomb, and I want to get outside the story of Jesus to show you what Jesus on the very first Easter meant to the world and meant to everyday people just trying to live their life and make it spiritually. The first person is a really interesting one. But here's what's, here, here's what's interesting. This person, the first person we're going to mention, her name's Mary Magdalene, if you want to write that. Uh, Magdalene is a place, not a last name. So this is Mary from Magdala. She's always called Mary Magdalene. Um, she's the very first person besides Jesus that is mentioned in every resurrection story. Matthew, the very first thing that happened on Easter Sunday morning, he mentions Mary. Mark, the very first thing he mentions on Easter Sunday morning is that Mary was there. Luke, the very first thing Luke mentioned, Mary was there. very first thing John mentioned was that Mary was there. The very first person we're introduced to outside of Jesus on Easter Sunday morning is Mary. And here's what's really interesting. We, we know Mary as what I would call forever faithful. She's somebody who's been radically impacted by Jesus. She was a follower of Jesus, but she wasn't one of the most important ones. She wasn't a disciple. She wasn't a, a, a family member. It's interesting that all four gospel writers would mention her first because in those days, 2,000 years ago, a woman wasn't even allowed to take the stand in court because their word didn't hold enough credibility. So it shows you how honest the gospel writers were that they actually said a woman was the first one to see him because she was, according to scriptures, we just look at the Easter story from Friday all the way through Sunday, she was one of the most faithful followers of Jesus on this Easter morning. We're going to pick up her story in verse 11, still in John chapter 20. If you have your Bible open, we'll just keep reading where we left off. And here's the story as John presents it of Mary. John 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she went over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around, and she actually saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was him. So he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? 
thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you carried him away, just tell me where you put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, or Rabbi, which means teacher. And Jesus said, listen, don't hang on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers, the disciples, and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them the things that he had said to her. Now, who is Mary Magdalene? That the very first person Jesus would talk to when he raised from the dead, I mean, pretty momentous occasion, the very first person he would talk to would be someone who wasn't a disciple, wasn't a family member, a woman named Mary Magdalene. Who was Mary Magdalene? Well, we're introduced to Mary Magdalene in Mark chapter 16. We're told that she was just someone that Jesus had healed. The the New Testament scripture in Mark 16 said that she had been demon-possessed by seven different demons and that Jesus had freed her of this oppression in her life. He had changed her life and she began to follow him. We don't know whether that happened on day one of his ministry or very near the end, but we know that by the time we got to the end, even more so than the disciples, she was Jesus' most faithful follower. Every one of the gospels says she was the last one at the cross. The very last one to leave. When Jesus hung on the cross, when he died, when they took the body down, she was the very last one to leave the cross. She was the first one to show up at the grave. And what I learned is I started studying about Mary Magdalene. I found this odd irony in Scripture. And the odd irony is this. Sometimes the most faithful followers of Jesus feel like they live in the most most spiritual isolation of anyone that they know. In Scripture, very often we find that the people who are closest to God and the people who, who live a life that, that is extremely de- devout and extremely faithful, they, they sense all the time extreme spiritual discouragement. And because they're so close to God, when they feel distant at all, they, just, they feel like they're all alone. The closer you get to God, the further you feel when you're not right there with Him. And that's where Mary was. Mary goes to the tomb not to see if Jesus is alive. She goes to the tomb and says with spices to just continue to help the body not decay as fast as the body would decay. But in Scripture, we see this happening all the time, that people who are really faithful sometimes feel extreme isolation spiritually. If you have your Bible, I want you to flip over to Psalm chapter 1. You don't have to because it should be on the screen behind me. But in Psalm chapter 1, the, the book of Psalms is a book of just kind of short little spiritual sayings, spiritual teachings, and the vast majority of it is from the diary of a man named David. If you study the Old Testament, David was the man who killed Goliath. David, according to Scripture, was a man after God's own heart. Say, so what does that mean? David loved God uh, extraordinarily. I mean, David loved God more than you and I love God. David would do anything for God. But David continually lived with the discouragement that sometimes he didn't feel blessed by God. He didn't feel close to God. And we find in Scripture, I mean, you can, just, you can walk from Adam to David, to John the Baptist, and beyond. Some of the people who have the deepest spiritual life sometimes live in extreme spiritual discouragement because they just they can't figure out what God is trying to do in their life. And in Psalm 1, David, more than making a statement, he, he, makes a, uh, he kind of makes a hypothesis. He says, here's how life should be. And here's what he says in Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take a, sit, a seat in the company of the mockers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and he meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked won't stand in the judgment, 
nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for God watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. What's really interesting about the book of Psalms, if you sat down and read it, just Psalm 1 all the way to Psalm 150, which is nearly impossible because that's a lot of Bible to read. David starts out, and here's what he said in Psalm 1. Hey, good Christian people should always feel close to God and blessed by God. And people who don't care by God should, all, should, should always feel cursed by God. That was his premise in Psalm 1. Good Christian people should feel close to God and blessed by God. People who don't care about God should always feel a longing in their life. But then from Psalm 2 to Psalm 149, David said, I don't always feel like that's the case. Sometimes I look at my life and I try to go to church and I try to read my Bible and I try to do things the right way and I feel like God is nowhere near me. My marriage is still falling apart. My kids are still wandering off in a direction that they shouldn't wander off in. I got fired from my job. I got demoted. I got let go. Uh, my parents have disowned me, on and on and on. I can't get out of this financial crisis that I'm in. You know, I'm thinking that if I live for God, everything should go good, but it doesn't feel that way, and I'm constantly discouraged spiritually. Well, on the other hand, David said, I look at people who don't care about God, and they seem to have everything. They're buying the new house and the new car and the new boat, and they're actually getting raises, and they're cheating and lying and stealing and getting promotions at work, and it doesn't seem right that I'm trying to do the right thing, and my life stinks, and they don't really care, and their life is blessed. And the whole book of Psalms is trying to figure out if Psalm 1 is true. Are people who are close to God, do they always really feel blessed? And are people who aren't close to God, do they always feel cursed? And at the end of the book of Psalms, David said that's not really true. People close to God don't always feel close to God. People close to God don't always feel blessed. People close to God don't always feel like God is on their side. Sometimes it's really lonely. Mary on Easter Sunday morning was very lonely. And as we look at Mary in the Easter story, it reminds us that it's possible for the most devout and faithful Christians to begin to shape life for themselves distant from God. I'm just going to have to learn to live not ever feeling close to God. Three times in Psalm 42, David asks this question in his journal. Why, oh my soul, are you so downcast within me? He has, he's asking this question. Why am I so discouraged? Man, I'm a Christian. My life is good. My family seems good. David is writing to himself in his journal. Why do I always feel discouraged? You know, it, it's, uh, it's interesting. If you open to the inside of your bulletin, we're getting ready to start next week a, a brand new series on Words with Friends. Some of you play that game on your smartphones, or you're like me. You started like 20 games the first day you played it, and then after you got beat a few times, you just, you've never played it again because you realize you're not any good at it. That's kind of how my Words with Friends career went. Um, but we're on, uh, it says on May 13th, we're going to do this on May 20th because May 13th is Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day, all our kids will be on the stage, and we'll be honoring our moms that day, and we'll preach on Mother's that day. Uh, but on May 20th, we're going to talk about discouragement. Because if, if we read the Bible, we see that a lot of Christians are like Mary Magdalene. Sometimes the most, most faithful followers of Jesus have the most discouragement in their life. And we're going to look at how as a Christian, when you feel like you're trying to live for God, why would you always feel so down? Why would you always feel so lonely? Why would you feel like you're going to have to try to figure out how to live God, life without God? Remember, that's where Mary was. Mary even told the gardener, look, when, the, when, when she saw that the stone was rolled away, she didn't think he's alive. She thought they hid the body. She didn't even say, is he alive? She had no excitement that he was going to live again. She just said, look, if you hid the body, tell me, I'll go get it and bury it again. She thought she was going to have to get used to life distant from God. And then on that new road of life, thinking she was going to have to live life without a close proximity to Jesus, she literally bumped right into her. He said, Mary, I never left. I am right here. 
I'm always right here. And even though sometimes you feel very discouraged, sometimes you feel very distant, sometimes you wonder if your faithfulness is worth it, I'm right here and I've always been right here. Hebrews 13.5 is a great, great New Testament verse, but they actually, the author of Hebrews ripped it off from the Old Testament. He said, God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Some of you are here this morning on an Easter morning. The only question you have is, does God really care about me and my family? Because when I look at my marriage, when I look at my health, when I look at my job, when I look at my career, when I look at just how I feel inside, when I look at my children, I just sometimes wonder if God really cares. That's some of the only questions you have in life. Does God really care about me and my family? And Hebrews 13.5 says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Who did God say that to? That's actually quoted from a conversation that God had with someone. You remember who it was? It was Joshua, God's greatest leader, who God was with over and over and over again. And here's Joshua, who Joshua has had a past filled with great moments with God. But Joshua one day wonders, is God really still with me? Do I still have a ministry? Am I still going to make a difference? Can God still use me? And God says, Joshua, I'm never going to leave you. I'm always right here. See, it's possible for faithful people on Easter to wonder if God is still here. And Mary shows us, man, faithfulness always has the reward. If you keep walking on the road you're walking on faithfully, you will bump into Jesus, just like Mary did. Easter proves that to us. Person number two, another interesting guy you probably don't know much about. The Bible refers to him as Joseph of Arimathea. Again, Arimathea is a place. Joseph is the guy's name. And when I read the story about Joseph, by the way, Mary and Joseph, interesting that those are their two names. Those are not the parents of Jesus. But Mary Magdalene and Joseph of Arimathea are the only two people mentioned by name in every resurrection story. Peter's not mentioned by name in all of them. Uh, James and John are not mentioned by name in all of them. John the Baptist had been dead for, for two years. He wasn't The only two people mentioned by name in every gospel story, Mary Magdalene, Joseph of Arimathea. Let me tell you how unimportant they were. They actually had to say the name of where they were from because nobody knew who they were. Mary, which Mary from Magdalene? Oh, that's right, I I met her. Joseph, which Joseph from Arimathea? Okay, I mean, the world didn't see these people as important, but God did. And we see Joseph of Arimathea on Easter Sunday finally having the courage to be identified with Jesus. Where is he? John chapter 9. Forgive me for making you turn all over your Bible. You, by the way, the, all the scripture will be on the screen behind me. So if you get tired of turning, you don't have to. But if you're still close to where we were, John chapter 19 is, uh, is where we are. Jesus has just died. And in John chapter 19, we start in verse 38. We find out that this man, Joseph, Joseph who? The one from Arimathea, came to bury Jesus. It says later, this is right after Jesus has died. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate, for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but what's the word there if you're following along? Secretly, privately. Joseph followed Jesus, but nobody knew it. Why? Because he feared the Jewish leaders. But with Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. You might circle that word Nicodemus there in your Bible. That's the name of a man. In John 3, Jesus had a a conversation with Nicodemus. The most famous verse in the Bible came from what Jesus told Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Nicodemus said, how's the whole Christianity thing work? Jesus gave that answer to Nicodemus because he didn't want anyone to know that he was a follower of Jesus. The man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about of, of about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, 
The two of them wrapped it and with the spices and in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So we see this man who up until this point in his life, nobody even knew that he knew Jesus, loved Jesus, followed Jesus, had heard anything Jesus said. But something about seeing Jesus go to the cross, something about the Easter weekend made him say to himself, you know what, I'm not going to hide the fact anymore that I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not going to hide the fact anymore that I I really care about Jesus and he's impacted my life. I'm not going to hide the fact anymore that, uh, that, that he has really impacted me. I, and I'm not, I, I don't care what people think anymore. I want the world to know that I'm a Christian. This statement was so bold that he's recorded. It, the only four people that wrote stories of Jesus dying all wrote his name. That's how courageous he became. And the whole world now knows that he was a follower of Jesus as well as Nicodemus. See, here's what's happened. When we truly realize who Jesus is and what he did for us, when we truly realize the impact of Easter on our life, It's not a big deal for people to know that we love Jesus, that we follow Jesus, that his teaching has impacted our life, and we're not embarrassed to be associated with him. It was interesting. We uh, we had a conversation. I'm in a small group Bible study. Our church, last small group semester from kind of January to Easter, had 16 different small groups that met all over the city. Mine, uh, the one that I met in, was in my subdivision, Eagle Creek, on Sunday nights. Um, and it it was a small group that became a very large group, Uh, but I had a table of like eight guys, six to eight guys that I was always with, and one of the discussion points we had during the last eight weeks was, uh, do people in your life know you're a Christian, and if not, why not? Um, And a lot of the guys around the table said, you know, some people do, but a lot of people don't, and we said, why? And, And here's the answer. It wasn't because we didn't want people to know that we love Jesus. It was because some caricature of Christianity had turned somebody off and we didn't want to be associated with them. We thought, you know, if somebody knows that I'm a Christian, they're going to associate me with a political party or a political stance. If somebody knows that I'm a Christian, they're going to associate me with a church or a pastor that I don't want to be known by. If somebody knows that I'm a Christian, they're going to associate me with a denomination that I don't want to be known by. And I, you know, I don't want to be put into this hole of what they think a Christian is. No one said, well, I just, I'm embarrassed for people to know that I know Jesus. It was all outside impacts of, you know, what will they think of Christianity? And, you know, I, I bet many of you would say the exact same thing. If I said, the people in your life who don't know you're a Christian, why is that? It would be one of those reasons. I don't want to turn people off. I don't want this. I don't want this. You know, they had a bad experience here. I've had a bad experience here. Listen, all you need to let people know is what Jesus has done for you. You don't need to let them know what you believe about social issues or who you're going to vote for in November. That doesn't even matter. You just have to let them know what Jesus has done for you. John chapter 9, there's a story of Jesus healing a man who was born blind. He'd been blind, born, he'd been blind his entire life. And Jesus met him in the temple and he starts begging Jesus, help me see, help me see. So Jesus heals him in the temple and this man starts praising Jesus. And the people who ran the temple said, you got to shut up. You, you can't talk about Jesus in the temple. The temple's about God. And he said, well, Jesus made me see. I'm going to talk about Jesus all I want. So they actually arrested him. And they, they brought him before kind of their judges, and they said, what happened to your eyes? And he said, I was born blind. I couldn't see. Um, but I met this man named Jesus, and he did this. And, but he tried to explain himself, and they said, you're a liar. Call the man's parents. So they called the man's parents in. 
And they said, tell your son that he hadn't been blind his whole life. And they said, well, he actually has been blind his whole life. You know? And they said, well, what happened? They said, well, we don't know what happened. And the guy in John 9.25 basically said this. He said, look, I don't know what you think or care about Jesus. Here's what I know. I was blind, and now I can see. He changed me. And that's all you need to know. I don't know everything about him, but I know he changed me. And you know, if we could get an entire group of Christians in a community to quit talking about Christianity and to start talking about Jesus, Jesus might be able to continue to change people. You know, if you're having an identity crisis spiritually, here's my one challenge for you on this Easter Sunday. If, if you're kind of a closet Christian that's in hiding like Joseph of Arimathea, go home and post on your Facebook, great, great Easter Sunday, Jesus is alive. Some of you are such closet Christians that that would horrify you to think about doing that. But it's time, Easter Sunday allows us to say, you know what, I'm with him. They say, well, yeah, but what about all these crazy this, that, and everything? Nope, I'm not with them, but I am with Jesus. It's time to associate with Jesus. You know, a, a year and a half ago, I was in California at a, a church planning conference somewhere in Southern California between Anaheim and Los Angeles, and Danielle was at a mall. Where's Danielle? There's like so many blonde people in the front row. This, th that is not my wife. This one is my wife. Um, it's like, it's with Danielle, but that's not her. There you are. Um, so I'm with Danielle, and Danielle says, I got to go to the mall and get something. I hate going to the mall to get something, like, ever. I, I, you know, shopping is not my thing. So Danielle says, I'm going to go to the mall and get something. And I, in childish rebellion, wouldn't even go inside. I said, I'm going to sit outside on the bench. And you have 15 minutes. I, you know, I didn't threaten to leave her. I might have. I don't know. I've done that in the past. I, I probably shouldn't confess that to you, but uh, it happens from time to time. So I'm sitting on this bench, having a bad attitude, probably losing words with friends to you know, a group of people. You know, I'm on my cell phone just trying to pass time away. And out of the mall walks Kobe Bryant. Literally, like, right by me. He came out of the Mac store, and he had, like, four Mac laptops. And I, I saw his laptops. Right? I thought, who in the world buys four Mac laptops at the same time? And I thought, oh, Kobe Bryant makes total sense. Um, so, you know, he's walking out, you know, and I see him coming. So I thought, you know, I've got to maneuver myself so we cross paths. You know, so he stands up, and I act like I get a phone call because he's on the phone. So I thought, I'll be on the phone. So, yeah, it was over. And, like, as he walks by, I start walking. I'm walking by Kobe Bryant. Just word for word, fake conversation on my phone. He's probably talking to someone real, or maybe he's having a fake one too, so I won't talk to him. And he kind of looks at me, and it was the night after the All-Star game where he just won the MVP in L.A. And uh, he looked at me, and I said, you know, like I'm paused my conversation, good game last night. He said, thanks, man. And then he gets into like this tricked-out Mercedes and drives away. I get off my fake phone call and immediately begin to tweet, Facebook, text, email, <laughs> and I think the message probably went more like, you know, just instead of bumping, you know, hey, was just hanging out with Kobe Bryant in the, in the mall <laughs> in L.A., you know? And by the time I got home, it was like playing a little ball with Kobe Bryant in L.A. You know how that goes. But I met somebody who, who it was cool to know. It was cool to have a conversation with. It was cool to act like we were talking on the phone together with. I, I ran into Kobe Bryant. If you don't know who Kobe Bryant is, we're going to have a healing service right after this. We're just going to make you watch Sports Center until you know who Kobe Bryant is, because you should. Because um, this illustration doesn't make sense if you don't know who he is. But here's the deal. We know somebody more important than Kobe Bryant. We know somebody who can do more for our life than Kobe Bryant. We know someone who has transformed us from the inside out more than Kobe Bryant. Why aren't we telling people in the world, man, I hung out with Jesus, and he changed me. And I don't know what you think about him or all the people who call themselves Christians, but I know this. I was this way, and now I'm this way, and I owe it all to Jesus. That's what Joseph 
of Arimathea means to us on Easter. Person number three is actually two people. That's not a person, uh, but it's actually two people, Thomas and Peter. And man, we, just, we know them on Easter as the doubter and the denier. And we're going to hang right around John chapter 20, uh, and we'll read verses 24 through 29 in just a minute. But here's what's really interesting. If you kind of grew up in church at all, uh, and I said, hey, who denied Jesus before the rooster croak um, the night before Jesus was crucified? Uh, most people would say, Peter. Uh, if I said, uh, hey, who was the disciple that doubted Jesus? When Jesus came to his disciples and said, I'm alive, but he wasn't there, and the disciples said, hey, we saw Jesus, and he said, I don't believe you. Most of you would say, Thomas. Here's the interesting thing. Thomas and Peter are not mentioned in every resurrection story, but they're the most well-known and most well-remembered. Why? Because they're just like us. You see, we are able to so identify with them because I don't, I don't know about you, but I have doubts sometimes. And I mean, I, you know, I'm a pastor who's been doing full-time ministry for the last 13 years. I, you know, I've, I've got three diplomas from Bible college saying that I, you know, I know what's going on in the Bible. And sometimes I'll have moments in my life or I'll read a verse in the Bible and, and I'll doubt. And I'll think, man, can it really all be true? I'll watch a great Christian friend grow, go through a crisis and I'll, I'll think, man, you know, how does that happen? And sometimes my faith wavers in and out. Man, I am all the time like the Apostle Peter, where I do things in my life where if anyone saw me, you know, they'd think there's no way that that guy is a Christian, much less a preacher. I mean, I doubt and I deny way more than I'd like to admit. So we really identify with Peter and Thomas because we're like them. But what happens in their story? John chapter 20, I want you to see this, verses 24 through 29. And we won't, I'll tell you about what happened with Peter in John 21. I don't want to read the whole chapter. But it says, now Thomas, who was also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, that means the original twelve disciples, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. You know, we hear that and think, how could he say that? Man, sometimes I think that. Sometimes I wish, man, if I could just one time see Jesus, just one time, like I would never have a doubt. I get it. I understand what he's saying. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Way before the hippies greeted each other with peace, Jesus did. He's like, peace. Um, Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you've believed and, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That, that's you and I. You know, I, I want to say something as, as I've been studying. In John chapter 21, Jesus got alone with Peter and kind of said, listen, man, I know what you went through. It's okay. Keep moving forward. But if Peter and Thomas were pastors of some of the churches that we've gone to, they would have been fired for denying Jesus as publicly as they did or doubting as loudly as they did. They'd be fired. If these were Christian leaders in our church and they did something that made everyone think that maybe they didn't know who Jesus was or they verbally doubted that they sometimes they struggled with thoughts of faith, we would probably ask them to take some time off. But you know what? Jesus didn't fire these disciples. Jesus didn't really even, if you read it carefully, he really didn't even chastise them. You know what he did? He loved them. He encouraged them. And more than anything, he said, hey, you're going to be all right. He gave him another chance. He comforted him. He told Thomas, man, I wish you wouldn't have believed that, but you know what? Now you've seen, now you believed. We can work this out. 
Peter, he told him, hey, you know, that was a really bad day in your life spiritually. But I can still use you spiritually. And you know what? what we say, why did Jesus do that? Because he knew they were human. And he knew on this side of eternity until we can see him and touch him and see the nails and feel the side. All of us on Easter, any Christian on Easter would be normal to wonder, did this really happen? But Jesus says the people who just on faith in their heart say, I'm going to take God at his word and I'm going to follow. Jesus said they're going to be really blessed. But the ones who doubt every now and then, the ones who deny every now and then, I'm still going to use them too. Because Jesus is so patient with us. Easter always gives us the hope that we can start over. When we've really messed up spiritually, you can start over. When I've really doubted spiritually, you can start over. Easter reminds us, better than any other time in the calendar year, that regardless of where you've been spiritually, regardless of what happened last week spiritually, last year spiritually, the last decade spiritually, you can start over. Jesus doesn't want to spank you. He didn't want to yell at you. He didn't want to tell you you're fired. He wants to say, okay, that was a bad time. Now let's keep moving forward and, and we'll try this again. And by the way, Peter and Thomas, nobody was used uh, more after Easter Sunday than these two people. Uh, Peter and Thomas, Jesus said, all right, let's move past that and let's make an impact. And that happened to both of them. This should give you hope for where you are spiritually. And then finally, uh, person number four. And again, I would say that these are people. Uh, this isn't just a person, but I just call them the two because both of them aren't named. And we find two people, and I mean, this is so key right here. We find two people on Easter Sunday who were hoping for more than religion in their life. They'd been around religion. They'd been around Judaism. They'd read the Bible. But man, they had followed Jesus, and they were hoping Jesus really was who he said he was. They were hoping for more than religion in their life. Say, where is it? Luke chapter 24. It's just one, uh, one book back in your Bible. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Uh, I'll read it for you. But in, uh, in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, Jesus runs into these two guys who, who are hoping, wishing that, uh, that something could happen to them that was greater than just religion. It says, on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Jesus crucified, killed, all that stuff. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and he walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, hey, what are you talking about? What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Clopas said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in the last few days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Man, if you have your Bible, underline that. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. These were two Jewish guys who'd grown up in church all their life, going to the tabernacle, going to the temple, involved heavily in Judaism. And then they met Jesus, and they thought, you know what? Religion has never seemed to do it for me. The church that I went to never seemed to do it for me. I've never met a pastor who really seemed to do it for me. And we were hoping that maybe Jesus was the real deal, that maybe he really was the Savior of the world. But you know what? He's dead now, and it's not going to happen. You know what? There's a lot of people around the world today that are wishing something would happen to them that's more than a religious experience because religion has let them down. They were at a church that let them down. They were with a pastor that let them down. They had a bad experience in, in, in some 
past uh, experience that really let them down. And they're, they're really turned off at religion. But they still wish something spiritual could happen to them. That, that was these two guys. And it's interesting, you know, because what they were saying is this. Religion, religion doesn't really change us, but we were hoping that Jesus could. You know, we originally were supposed to start our Words with Friends series today. Today was supposed to be Word 1, Day 1, and the Word was going to be Imagine. And the whole thought of today was going to be Imagine if this, if this really happened. If we imagine that this really happened, how would it change our life if Jesus really rose from the dead? And we were going to create a whole theme around the day of Imagine. And I told Daniel, you know, we, we like to do every now and then like we did with our marriage series to bring in some songs and stuff that will like just freeze a word in your mind forever. Um, and I told Danielle, you know, what, to, what, what could we do? What, you know, skit, video, song, what could we do to make people leave thinking all day long the word imagine? And I am a, uh, man, I am a, a Woodstock era classic music junkie, uh, like maybe some of you are too. I'm not saying you should go out and listen to it. I'm not judging you if you do listen to it. I'm just saying in high school and college, I was big on the Woodstock era music. Pink Floyd, The Who, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, uh, The Doors, Creedence Clearwater, Revival, uh, The Beatles. You, you know, you get it, you've probably heard that music. The Forrest Gump soundtrack is, you know, one of the best probably compilation of songs that's ever been put together. I, you know, I listened to a lot of that kind of music when I was in high school and college. Um, and again, I'm not saying go out and buy those CDs. I'm not saying throw them away if you have. I'm just telling you what I did. This is, you know, do not go do what I did or don't do uh, what I didn't do. I, I don't even know if that makes sense. Um, but here's the deal. I told Danielle, I said, what about the John Lennon song, Imagine? Um, you know, Rolling Stone a few years ago said that's the third most impactful song in rock and roll history. You, you know, you all know that song, I'm sure, John Lennon's song, Imagine. When they, you know, so we're sitting in our team meeting, um, and, you know, I told Danielle, I said, what about that song? Um, and she says, do you know the words to that song? And Pastor Ryan Holt started singing a horrible rendition of it. You know, imagine all the people. And I said, no, I just, you know, I know the chorus. And she said, Christian, we can't do that song. And I said, why? And she said, look at the words. So I pulled it up and I looked at the words. And what I realized looking at the words is John Lennon had been turned off by religion. And I don't blame him. Imagine, it, the song starts this way. She said, Christian, we cannot, I will, I will not get on the stage and sing the words, imagine there's no heaven on Easter Sunday. So, all right, calm down. You don't have to do it. We, we won't sing it. Um, but here's how the song starts. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. Here's the key thought. And no religion to. You know what? Lennon had one thing right. We need people who aren't looking to religion to change the world, to change their life. These two men on the road to Emmaus, they said, we've had a life filled with religion, but we were hoping Jesus was more. You know, I agree with, with Lennon and that we need something more than religion. I, I don't believe with him that there's no heaven or no hell. I believe heaven is real. And I believe that God, according to his word, loves us so much that he wants us to live together forever with him in heaven if we will allow Jesus to come in, take the areas of our life that need fixing, fix them, and give us the greatest future that, that we could ever have. Whether you've been faithful today, you know, starting over is real. Easter is real. The life impact you can have at Easter is real. Whether you've been faithful 
and you're wondering why you can't feel God anymore, and if, if God still cares, Easter can change you. Whether you've been a closet Christian that needs to finally identify, not with a church, not with a religion, not with a denomination, not with a pastor, but with Jesus, Easter can change you. Whether you've just flat failed spiritually, Easter can change you. Whether you need more than religion, Jesus through Easter can change you. Because on Easter, everything changed, and it changed quickly. The minute Jesus raised from the dead, the whole history of the world changed and how we could approach God. You, know, you say, Christian man, just what, you know, I don't know if my past can go away. I don't know that I can change that quickly. I believe that you can. You know, a couple weeks ago when it was like 90 every day uh, in, uh, in Kansas City in early March, um, we live on a street that is like overpopulated with first, second, third, and fourth grade girls. They're just everywhere um, in our street and in our front yards. And my daughter and some of her friends, I came home one day, and they had, they had taken chalk, and they had, you know, some people take chalk and they draw a picture. They had literally decorated my entire driveway uh, with art. I think they've got some pictures. There, you know, there is our house. This is one entire portion of our driveway. There's a house. Go to the next slide. There's the picture of every child that lives within like, like four houses of art. They literally drew every child. And the height scale is actually pretty good. And there's all their names. So that's just like the kids from like two houses down to two houses down. Those are all the little kids. And as you can see, a lot of pink. Most of them are girls. Go to the next picture if you would. The, there should be one more. Is there one more? Yeah, they even drew the pets. So there's a cat and a dog and looks like maybe two cats and a dog. So they like drew our entire na- our neighborhood on our driveway. And like I was afraid to drive over it because I thought, man, I don't want to ruin their works of, uh, of art. You can, you can erase that now. Um, and for two weeks, I drove over it and it didn't go away. And the day that I took those pictures, I had mowed the yard and there was grass all over the driveway and I'd swept all the grass off and it didn't go away. And I had the thought, I thought, this stuff is never coming off our driveway, <laughs> like ever. And then something happened. Remember last week, I'm not sure what day it was, but last week it rained hard for like five minutes in Lee Summit. I mean, only five minutes. And I went out to check the mail right after it got done raining, and everything on the driveway was gone. Just in five minutes. And I felt like as I walked out that God spoke to me and said, Christian, this is how quickly I can erase someone's past. I can erase someone's hurt. I can give them a clean slate and let them start over. It's like that on Easter Sunday. And if you're here today, and you need Jesus in your life. If you're here today and you've been burned and burnt out and stretched, stretched out and stressed out, Jesus can take all of that away and you can start over today on Easter. That's the way it works. That's why Easter is so great. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And as we just come to the, the time of closing our service today and thanking God for Easter Sunday, and Adler, pull that piano down just a little bit if you would. With every head bowed and every seat closed, or and every eye closed, just where you are in your seat this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question. What do you need Jesus to do for you this Easter? Are you a real faithful one that has just felt empty and distant spiritually? Do you need Jesus today to just like run into you on the path so you can know he's still there? Are you a closet Christian who hasn't wanted to be identified with some of the far ranks of Christianity, but you understand that you do want to be identified with Jesus? Maybe you're someone who 
like Thomas and like Peter has just failed miserably. But you want to get going spiritually again. Or you feel like for you and your family and your children, it's time to start the spiritual journey again. Or maybe you're like these two guys and you've had a little bit of religion, but you've always hoped for something else spiritually. Regardless of what your need is, Jesus is the answer. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to talk to Jesus, to just pray. You don't have to pray out loud. You don't even have to move your lips. You can just pray in your mind and your heart. You can talk to God. He listens. But some of you are here and you're, this is kind of brand new to you, this, this, this thought of Jesus changing your life. Maybe you've had a little religion, but it hasn't done what you've wanted it to do. Maybe you're in the room today and you have never become a Christian. You've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin. You've never asked Jesus to give you eternal life. You've never asked Jesus to help you become the best you that you could possibly be by putting his spirit into your heart and life. If that's you, I want to help you pray this morning so that today you can begin a relationship with Jesus. Say, Christian, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. I've never done that. I'll say a prayer. You can just follow along in your heart and in your head. You know, you have to pray out loud. But if your desire today is to begin a relationship with Jesus, to become a Christian and begin walking a life that is changed now and a life that, that lives forever and eternity, pray this prayer just in your heart. Dear God, today, I need you in my life. And I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I'm not looking for religion, but I am looking for forgiveness, a changed life, and I'm looking for eternal life. So forgive me change me. And Lord, when I leave this earth, allow me to spend my eternity in heaven with you. Not because I can earn that or deserve it, but because you're offering it to me. I love you and I need you. Thank you for changing me, saving me, and starting a relationship with me. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, please nobody looking around for just the comfort of those around you. If you just prayed that prayer this morning and today started a relationship with Jesus and became a Christian, would you just raise your hand just up quick and down quick so that I can know and thank God, yes, 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 yes. Anybody else? On the count of three, if you just prayed that prayer and nobody's looking around, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Yes. God, thank you for taking people and today allowing them to start their journey with you. Easter is a great day to do that. Now, with every other head bowed and every eye closed, if you need Jesus to do something for you today, I just want to give you just 10 seconds. It doesn't take long to tell Jesus right now what you need him to do for you. If you've been faithful but you feel distant, just say, Jesus, I need you to become real to me today. If you've been a closet Christian, Jesus, I need you to give me the courage to be identified. If you've really messed up like Thomas and Peter, Jesus, forgive me and help me to start over. If you need one of those things, just right where you are, just pray that in your heart. And let Easter wash away the old and bring in the new. God, thanks for sending your son to die for us and for raising him from the dead so we could celebrate this awesome Easter Sunday every year. Remember who you were, what you did, and how it impacts us. Lord, we... Uh, None of us are going to be Billy Graham or some highly impactful person, but, Lord, we could be Mary Magdalene. We could be Joseph of Arimathea, just kind of a nobody that follows you. 
that's remembered because of how we love Jesus. That's our prayer today. Help us to become that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said...